Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. So this morning we are continuing in our return series. We're kind of halfway through Lent. This is week three of six um, in the Lenten season. And so we're kind of halfway there. And like you can kind of feel it right now. Like the world is starting to like come alive. Like there's not life yet, but like you can sense it. Like we've had a couple warm days and you can just sense that like life is coming. Now it's going to snow this week, I've been told, um, which I don't believe yet. Um, but when it does, like let's not be discouraged as, as the world becomes covered again and we kind of sink back in this place of like, ah, oh, it still feels like death. Like this is the rhythm kind of of the Lenten season. This is the rhythm of what it is to kind of like enter and walk through death and to like have hope of new life and to trust that as we walk towards new life and as we enter into these dry places of death, that that hope would still exist. And so we need to take kind of the hope and the kind of the sunshine and the birds chirping of today that like when it snows again, when it gets hard again, when we're, when we're scraping our windshields that are covered in ice and snow to trust that Summer and spring is still coming, and that that gives us life, that that gives us hope. I was talking with Jonathan before service. We're just like dreaming of all of the stuff we can do that we can't wait to do when summer comes. We're just like, man, summer is going to be really good this year. And we're, we're excited. We're looking forward to that. But that's not where we're at. We're in this season of like dryness and death and where we're getting glimmers and, and anticipation of hope. And, that, and I just love that the season of Lent like, mimics that in our spiritual lives as we anticipate resurrection, as we anticipate the hope of the resurrected Christ on Easter morning, that life is going to come birthed out of this place of death and that God is going to walk us through the, the trials and the pain that Jesus himself walked in Nazareth that he, as he died on the cross, he's going to bring us through death and on to the other side of life. And so that is what my prayer is for us in the season where we are just kind of, kind of being laid bare, where we're talking about death, where we're talking about entering into places of death in our life, that God would revive us, that God would bring us into the season of, of death, and that we would trust that this season of death will actually have more potential for life than if we were to avoid it. And so my hope is that we would kind of go headstrong into it. And today we're going to go into this place of this invitation to return back to God and to enter into a different type of death than what we've been talking about up until this point. <laughs> um, a death to ourselves and a, and a look for justice and righteousness in our city. And so today we're going to look at the book of Amos. So um, if you want to get to Amos, uh, uh, we're gonna, we'll, we'll spend a lot of our time in chapter 5. Um, but um, we're, I'll start a little bit in chapter 2. I've got to raise this up. All right, so this this book of Amos, um, just just to kind of like let you know, actually before we start there, um, let's start with last week for a moment. So um, I don't know if you guys, you guys should have gotten an email this last week um, from Shannon around Joel um, through the DRC newsletter kind of email. And um, so what we're going to do is that uh, as we go through this series, um, throughout the middle of the week, we're going to send out some reflections, some challenge to like go and read the minor prophets, and to kind of reflect and dissect. And so I hope that you can do that. If you haven't opened that email from Shannon, I encourage you to do that. Like, go through the exercise of, of reading through Joel. It's only three chapters. Go through kind of the questions and the reflections 
And just know that like, that's coming this week for Amos as well. And we don't have time to read all of Amos. Amos is a little bit longer. It's nine chapters. And I'm just going to like break it to you right now. It, it's a hard read. Like Amos is a really hard read. For about nine and a half chapters, it's pretty dark. It's not full of life. It's not full of hope. It's actually full of naming injustices that are happening <laughs> to God's people that's happening by God's people to God's people. It's naming um, a judgment that's coming from God. And like I said, for most of it, you're just like, man, this, this doesn't look good. And it's not a feel-good book. But then it ends with this hope that God is going to be restoring them. And so and maybe in some ways, when it snows this week, it's going to be like, man, it's not looking good. It's not looking like summer's coming. Like, but the hope is, is that on the other side of that, there's going to be life. And so I want to encourage you to dive into Amos this week, especially when that email comes out that you spend some time reading it. Um, but I'm just going to kind of give us some context and walk us through the book and what's happening here, and then we'll get to application and reflection um, at the end. And so the book begins with naming a bunch of injustices that the nations around Israel are causing. And so it begins with a judgment of the nations that are surrounding Israel. And when you look at the nations geographically and you look at how these nations are named, what ends up happening is that these nations begin to encircle and close in on Israel. And so for the first two chapters, it's just like this nation and this nation and this nation. There's judgment and injustice being named. But then in the middle of chapter two, we get to this place where Israel is actually revealed to be the central hub of the injustice that's existing in the whole world. God's like, look, guys, all this injustice that's happening around the world, you might be nodding your head and be like, yup, it's them, yup, it's them, yup, it's them. He's like, I'm actually closing in on you and saying, like, you guys are actually the source and the root for the injustice that's happening around you. And this kind of makes sense, right? Because the people of Israel are God's people. God has chosen them. He's made them a people of influence. And he's made them a people to go out and change the world and move the world towards him and invite people in to know his love and his character and what life looks like in relationship with him. And so we also have to just believe that like the inverse is going to be true, that like when Israel steps aside, when Israel dismisses God, when Israel decides to put forward false idols and false worship, that their influence is going to be also magnified to the people around them because they are sent people. And so this is what happens, is that in Israel's timeline, we are in a season where they have had total and complete disregard for God and his commandments, for his laws, for the, the poor and the oppressed and the needy. And what we have here is just a group of people who have turned to false idols, who have turned to lust and to greed and these false idols that they are pursuing, guess what? They're only affirming their lust and their greed. And that's kind of how false idols work. Like when we pursue something that's not God and we're trying to find fulfillment there, what often happens is that thing that we're pursuing is affirming the, our lusts and our greed and saying, yes, you should engage in that more. And normally when that happens, oppression and injustice occurs naturally because of that. And that's what's happening here. And so God shows up in this book of Amos with justice and judgment <laughs> um, to right this injustice that's being happened. 
Because God is a God who always hears the cry of the oppressed. Whether it's Israel in Egypt or whether it's Israel oppressing other people, God is going to come to the rescue. There's this line in Jeremiah where the question is, God, which army are you for? And God's like, I'm not for either side. But he's for justice and righteousness. So God, even though Israel is his chosen people, he's not, he's not picking sides. He's, if anything, he's picking the sides of the people who are oppressed, the people who are crying out, and the people that need to be saved. And so when we read this judgment that God has around Israel and the surrounding nations, it causes us to shudder. And it makes us not feel good. But what I want you to hear is that the words of judgment to the nations surrounding Israel and the words of judgment to Israel is good news if you are poor, needy, and oppressed. If you are poor, needy, and oppressed, the words that someone is coming to save you, the words that somebody is going to right the wrongs that have been done to you is good news. And so when Amos comes and he proclaims judgment against Israel, that's bad news for Israel. And if you are the rich and the mighty and the leaders of Israel, bad news. If you're the poor and the oppressed and the needy, this is amazing news that God has seen us and is coming to save us. And so when we read Amos, we can look at all the judgments that's happening and we can celebrate that our God is a God of justice and that our God is for the people who are oppressed and that he is for saving his people, that he sees the small people in our world. He sees the people that we see as small. He sees the people that we have beat down and that God is coming to save them. And so this is some of the judgment that God is naming against Israel. He says this in Amos 2, 13 through 15. He says, Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, declares the Lord God, the God of hosts, that on that day I will punish Israel for his transgressions. I will punish the altar of Bethel. There's a temple in Bethel, so it's their place of worship. So he says, I will punish the altars of Bethel where you worship, and the horns of their altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. I will strike their winter house along with their summer house, and the house of their ivory shall perish. So these guys are loaded. They've got a summer house, winter house, and a house of ivory. And God's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crush that blessing because this blessing that I have given you to be a blessing to other people, you just haven't done that. Instead, you've actually turned and done the opposite. You've used my people to create these houses. And you've taxed them and you've stolen from them and you've left them with nothing. And like you have left them with nothing, I will also leave you. He says, the great houses shall come to an end, declares the Lord. We turn to Amos chapter 4. We have this warning to Israel. He says, hear this word, you cows of Bashan. He calls them cows like he's calling them fat. <laughs> like that's what, he's that's what he's doing here. He says, whose mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor and crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we might drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that behold, the days are coming to you when they will take you away with hooks and even the last of you with fish hooks. Now that's like kind of a gruesome image, but what they're talking about here is death. What they're saying is that destruction is going to befall and what that destruction that's going to happen is that it's going to come to where people are going to carry you away with hooks. And so what would happen is, is that it was, 
you would defile yourself if you touched a dead corpse. So the way that they would remove dead corpses is that they would come in with these big hooks and they would grab you with a hook and like drag you around to where they were going to bury you because that way they didn't touch the body and you weren't defiled. And so when he says that they're coming after you with hooks, he's saying you're going to be dead. I'm going to strike you down. In Amos 5, 3 through 4, it says this, it says, The Lord God, he says, the city that went out a thousand shall have a hundred left. And that which went out a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. He says, Israel, you're going to shrink. This prosperity, this wealth, this position of power, I'm going to humble you and reduce you. And like I said, if you are poor and needy, this justice is good news. This is good news to you. It spells freedom, that a holy vengeance is coming that you did not have to fight for, that you did not have to try and create in yourself. You didn't have to stage this coup. You didn't have to go and fight for salvation for yourself, but the Lord God has seen you in that place, and he has come, and he's coming to rescue you. Now, the beautiful thing is that God's heart is not only for the oppressed, but it's also for the oppressors, which is Israel. It's in the middle of all of this judgment that God invites Israel to return back to him. In the same chapter, chapter 5 of Amos, verse 4, he says, For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel. He just got talking about how like Israel's going to be reduced. Like a thousand is going to come back a hundred. From a hundred, there's going to be ten. But he says this, he says, For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. Seek me and live. God's heart is for all the oppressor as well, that they might turn and seek God and live and know what it is to live the way that God has always intended Israel to live. If we continue in Amos, God then makes clear the sins to the people. If they didn't know what they were, he's like, you'll know what they are here. He says, they lie and they hate the truth and they hate those who proclaim it. He says, you tax the poor, their grain, you take away their food, and you use them to build your expensive homes. He says that they are filled with bribery and corruption, and he says that you continue to worship in the temple in vain. So what's happening here is that as these guys, as the nation of Israel are pursuing these other gods, they're also showing up to the temple. They're paying their sacrifices. They're paying their offerings. They're like, God, it's cool. We showed up to church. Like, that's what's going on. And God's like, I reject that. That is not what I have called you to do. I don't care about you showing up to the temple. I don't care about your assemblies. I don't care about your religiosity. How I care, what I care about is how you treat people, how you treat others. And know that you worship me in vain, and I reject that as you defile yourselves in greed and lust, and idolatry of other gods in other places. And so Amos has this prayer. He has this prayer at the end of chapter 5 that the people of Israel would seek good and not evil. So we're in verse 14. He says, Seek good and not evil so that you might live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, as you have said. Verse 15, Hate evil and love good and establish justice at the gate. It might be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. 
So he's saying, turn to me and begin to love others, begin to serve others. And maybe God will be generous back. Maybe God will be gracious back and restore you. And he ends with this prayer in this section that says that his biggest prayer is that justice would roll down like waters and that righteousness would come like an ever-flowing stream. He is, re- he is inviting the people of Israel to return home. He's saying, come back home to me. He says, you have wandered far away. You have allowed your hearts to carry you with your lusts and your greed, and you have followed gods who have affirmed your lust and greed and have said, yep, go for it. And I am calling you back so that you can be the people that I have made you to be. So that you can be the priests to the nations. Though that you might intercede for the people that are oppressed. That you might walk out righteousness and justice for your neighbor. That you might be a people of good news that God is with them wherever they go. God's trying to reestablish this imagination of like, I have called you to be my people. And you have gone far away from home. I want you to come back and know my love and know my peace. And I want you to go forward and still be my people. He's like, I still, you know the dream? I still want that for you. I still want that for the world. That's what God is inviting his people to do through the book of Amos. So the question then for us in the middle of all of this injustice, what, what is all of this to us? What is all of this that Amos has to say? Like, what, what does that mean to us? Because it seems distant and far, and it seems like that their sin is, like, grievous and, a, and just obvious and apparent, and maybe we're in a place where, like, our, our sin is not, and we're not really sure, like, what relevance this has. And so I hope that we can bring some relevance. And I think the question that we need to begin with is, what is the greed what is the lust and what is the idolatry that exists in our own hearts? What, is, what, what lustful things are we pursuing? What feelings of greed exist in our heart? And what gods are we following that are affirming those two things? And I think greed and lust are very similar kind of desires and feelings. Like, greed says, like, I just, I just need the next thing. Lust says, I want the next thing because it's going to fulfill me in the way that I think it will. So greed is just the acquisition of stuff. Lust is like, and it will fulfill me. Like, it's kind of both. And so I feel like it's really hard to, to greed and not lust, if that makes sense. Like, in our greed, we are also lusting. Like, they go hand in hand. And oftentimes, the gods that we follow, the idols that are in our lives, they affirm it. They say, yep, go after that thing. Go after that promotion, go after that money, go after whatever it is that you think that's going to bring fulfillment in your life. And the reality is that whatever it is that we're pursuing in our greed and in our lust and in our turn to the idols that are affirming those things, injustice is just following behind us. It's just creating a path of destruction and wreckage behind us, whether we see it or not. And so in many ways, we could talk about the obvious injustices in our world, right? I mean, because those are apparent. Like, I mean, we could talk about the injustice that it is to, like, go to the mall and be able to buy a $5 dress. Like, we could talk about that. We could talk about kind of the injustice and the fact that, like, we believe that we have to 
find our worth in what we're able to produce, that as a nation, we kind of have an addiction around coffee, that we need to caffeinate ourselves so that we can do more, and that if we could just do more, improve more, we could be more, and we could reach this place. But what we don't realize is that in our addiction to caffeine and coffee, that's creating an oppression around the world in the coffee industry. It exists. And so in our lusts and in our greed and in our idols, there's injustice following behind us. You see how this works? We can talk about how our lust and our consumption of explicit material <laughs> disenfranchises and oppresses women around the world. We could have that conversation. And maybe those are some things that God is pointing out to you. Maybe God is just pressing into you around where you purchase your things, how you spend your time, what you're actually striving after. But I also think that there's a much more subtle call to return and awakening to our lustful desires and our greed and our forms of idolatry. So a couple weeks ago, I talked about how I have this like terrible addiction, and God is, has been breaking me of it, but it's still lingering, okay? So like we're in the middle of this. We're in the season of life. We're in the season of dying to ourselves, right? Of, of just Facebook and the Facebook marketplace and Amazon, right? I mean, you guys know I love me some Amazon. Like, I love it. And the thing is, is that in this, it is just feeding my greed, it's feeding my lust, and it's feeding my idolatry. It's greed because I want more stuff. It's lustful because I'm unfulfilled with what I currently have. And it's idolatry because I believe that if I spend time dreaming of this stuff, that I could have, I might find fulfillment. And the idol in my life says, yes, the best way to spend your time is just, just scrolling mindlessly, looking for the best deal, which oftentimes leads to oppression somewhere else in the world in a real person's life. Somehow that impacts a real person on the other end, normally in a negative way. And so the consequences of these actions is actually an injustice against my family. Because... It's time that is stolen from my wife and son. Sure, it's idle time. Sure, it's downtime. But it's time that I could be present playing with my son. It's time that I could be present with my wife. Instead, it's just me feeding myself. And so I don't know what it is that you do that's stealing away time from your family, that's stealing away time from your relationships, that is feeding your lust and your greed and this idol that's affirming that. That's also an injustice against my God and all that he has given me. Because all that I have is his, and all that I have has been a gift from him. And how often do I miss that in my greed and my lust? It's also against my neighbor, whom I could use my resources to, to engage and spend time with them, to engage in and bless them. And like I said, my purchase, when I can get a really awesome deal, probably leads to the oppression of somebody else somewhere else. This is how our greed and our lust and, and how we find ourselves much more in the narrative of Amos than we ever dreamed possible. But the beautiful thing is that God meets us in this place. God meets us in these places of our ugly lust, desires, and greed, okay? The other day, I was going through Aldi. 
God met me in Aldi of all places, okay? So I'm going through Aldi. It's late. I'm tired. It's been a busy week. I've not spent time with Benjamin or my wife as I probably should have. And there in the middle aisle of all the goodness that Aldi is, is an awesome toy that Benjamin would love. And so in my big daddy heart, I'm like, I want to get Benjamin this toy. And guess what's on sale? And I'm like, yes, you know. But I'm looking at the, at the money that's left in the grocery budget because that's what I'd be spending. And I'm just like, I don't know if it's there. I don't know if it's there. But man, it's really cheap and you'd really love it. And, I, and, like, and everything in my good daddy heart and want to affirm that I'm a good dad wants to buy this gift that I can bring it home and be like, Benjamin, look at what daddy got you. And play with him for five minutes and then go do something else, right? And so I wrestle. I mean, Rebecca knows. I'm texting her. I'm like, there's this toy. It'd be awesome. She's like, he doesn't need another toy. He doesn't, she's like, if we get him this toy, we need to get rid of like five more. I'm like, whoa. And in that space, God met me. God met me in my greed, in my idolatry. And he's like, he doesn't need another toy. He needs you. Go home and spend time with all of the toys that he does have and spend it with him. He needs you. He doesn't need another toy. And God broke me. And, and that's how God is restoring righteousness into my relationship with my son. That I would go home and that I would be intentional to play with him. That I would be intentional to engage with him. That I would be intentional to not pursue Amazon and Facebook and all these other things that take me away from time with my son and with my wife. And so I believe the message at the end of the day that Amos is trying to bring us is come and die. Come and die to ourselves. I mean, we are in the season of Lent, and this season of Lent is a season of dying. It's a movement that we trust that in our death, there's going to come life so much better than life right now. And so what a, what a better time. What a better time to invite God in and to just smash our idols, to just expose our sin, to expose our greed, to expose our love and just <laughs> our lust and just smash it that our burning desires of lust and greed, that God would just snuff that out. And that we would allow ourselves to be broken in front of our God and be broken for other people. I mean, this is the invitation of Jesus. The invitation of Jesus is come and die. And in your dying, you will live. You will find life. There's a story in Luke chapter 19. Jesus is coming to the city of Jerusalem. In chapter 9, Jesus makes this turn. There's this shift in Luke where Jesus makes this statement that, that well, Luke makes a statement about Jesus and it says that he set his face towards the city of Jerusalem. And if you read through the story of Luke from chapter 9 on, the transition statement from every miracle, from every story is, and he set his face towards the city of Jerusalem. He is headed to the city. He is on mission. He is on purposely going to Jerusalem. And when he shows up to Jerusalem, when he walks over the mountain and Jerusalem is there before him, he loses it. Jesus weeps. He weeps over the city. And the reason why he weeps over the city is because his heart breaks at the level of injustice that exists in the city. His heart is crushed. And I know our hearts are crushed too by the injustice that's in this world. 
And as Jesus climbs up the mountain and he sees the injustice of the city and he reflects in Luke chapter 13 how this is the place where prophets come to die, where the people, his people, have rejected him and have chosen their idols and their lust and their greed before him and over him. He mourns that and he weeps over that. And he invites you and I to enter into that space with him. Because when we start to think about the injustices of our world, it's heavy. It's overwhelming. It's unbearable. It leads us to a place of weeping if we can allow ourselves. And many times it's so huge and so big that like we just feel paralyzed. And we feel like our weeping is in vain and that it's useless. But as Jesus looks over the city of Jerusalem, as he looks over the injustice in their world, and as he looks over the injustice that, that we perpetuate in our lives, he weeps and he invites us to weep with him. He invites us to weep with him. Now Jesus, he doesn't just sit there and weep and spend all the rest of his days weeping over Israel and the injustice that he finds there and in Jerusalem. No, he he faces in towards it. He sets his face towards it and he enters into it on purpose to address all the injustice of Israel and all of the injustice of the world through his death and resurrection that's going to happen there. And so Jesus doesn't just mourn and move on. He just doesn't spend the rest of his days crying, but he faces into it and he presses into it and he comes face to face with the injustices in our world and we have been invited into that space also we've been inspired we've invited into that space to not only just weep and pray but we are called like jesus to pick up our cross and to die daily to fight against the injustice in our world and to also fight the injustice that we are perpetuating in our own lives right now because we refuse to die to our lusts to our greeds and to our idols And so again, I invite you to come and die. Come and pick up your cross and follow me. I mean, the world news, we're we're in this place where we have like this world global news, national news network, right? We're, We're more connected than ever. And so what happens though is that we become isolated and disarmed because we see the injustice that happens around the world and we say, Injustice exists somewhere else with people that I don't know and I don't know how to make a difference. I guess I'm useless. I, can't, I guess I can't work towards justice. I guess the best thing that I can do is maybe give some money to IJM. And IJM is doing great work around the world, don't get me wrong. But the problem with world news and the problem with seeing justice somewhere else is that it disarms us and it makes us feel like we can't make a real difference here where there is injustice present here in this city, in our relationships that we are even responsible for causing. And so it moves us away from our community and it moves us away from our relationships where we can actually make a difference. And Jesus is saying, stop looking out there. But what I want is for you to have eyes right here. I want you to have eyes to see the injustices that are happening 
around the world right here. The injustices that are happening in the lives of your coworkers, the injustices that are happening in our schools, the injustices that are happening in the lives of your neighbors. And it probably won't look like the injustice and the impression that you're looking for because the injustice and the impression that we've been looking for our entire lives looks like homelessness, poverty, no shoes, no home, those kinds of things. But the reality is that injustice happens in all shapes, in all forms, in all communities. It's wherever power is exerted over relationship, injustice is probably happening there. So injustice can be happening in a marriage. An injustice can be happening in a relationship between father and son. An injustice can be happening <laughs> with, in the school system. An injustice can be happening in many different places where we can be invited into to speak life. We just need to start having conversations with each other. We need to start pressing in to one another. And we need to begin to be able to challenge one another where injustice is and name it. Those are the things that I believe Jesus wants us to weep over. Sure, it's good to weep over the injustices of the world. I get that. But what are we missing in Verona? What am I missing in Verona? And this is a huge challenge for me because I don't know. And I live here. So God is opening my eyes up to look for it, to engage in relationship, to engage with the city. And God has been challenging me kind of with this picture around church. And so you want to bring up these triangles, Rich? So the one on your left, I think, is how we often kind of picture the function of the church. When we think of our spiritual life, when we think of the energy that we put into being spiritual and spending time with God and with serving God, we often put the church at the top. We say, Sunday morning, I serve on Sunday, I serve God. I show up on Sunday, I'm serving God. This is the most spiritual hour of our week right here. And so we put 90% of our energy and our spiritual power and our faith in the church, into this thing that's happening right here, right now. And what's left is kind of 10% for the rest of the city, our families, lives, and everything else that happens when we leave this place and before we come into this place. What I believe God is calling us to do is to flip this thing upside down. Sure, what we do on Sunday morning, gathering, coming together, celebrating what God is doing, becoming aware of the presence of God, important. I would put it at like 10% important, though. And what God is wanting us to do is he's wanting us to spend our energies and our faith and to walk it out and to be the church that 90% of the time towards the city. And I believe that if we're going to respond to the call to Amos to return to our God and to fight for the oppressed, we have to like flip our mentality around church. We have to flip our mentality around our spirituality. And we have to flip our mentality of what a faith of life lived looks like. And I think it looks like all the time. And maybe the best image isn't necessarily a triangle upside down, but maybe a square where it's all balanced out. But I think we need to flip it right now and put our energy towards the city because we have, we have put a lot of energy into this. I mean, so much energy goes into this, like, two-hour space, right? I mean, like, I can't tell you how much hours I put into this. I can't tell you how much, you know, you guys get here early. We've got the worship team practicing. It's all good. It's all good. But I'm asking, how much hours do we spend and how much energy are we spending towards the city and having our eyes opened to the injustice 
and being able to meet those places head on. How much hours do we spend weeping over the city and how much time do we spend engaging the city face to face? Amos says in verse 5.15, because the question is, well, okay, that sounds great, Justin. How do we do it? How do we do it? And Amos 5.15 says this. He says, hate evil, love good, and establish justice at the city gate. And when we come to the New Testament, it sounds a lot like this. It sounds a lot like Romans 12. Romans 12 says this. It says, let love be genuine. Abhor and to hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I believe this is how we get at facing the injustice in our lives. This is how we get at facing the injustice that exists in the relationships around us, in our coworkers, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, wherever God has placed us. This is how we do it. We love genuinely, we hate evil, and we hold on to what is good, and we love one another with brotherly affection. And I love this part. We outdo one another in showing honor. And I just want to read the rest of this chapter because everything here, you could meditate on it. And that's my challenge to you, is that we would meditate on this passage of Romans 12 as we think about the invitation to return in Amos. And so it continues by saying, don't be slothful in zeal. Get excited. Have a fervent spirit to serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek and show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Basically, when someone talks back to you, don't talk back to them. Receive them in love. Receive them in grace. Receive them maybe with a thank you because maybe we need it and we deserve it. Rejoice those with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. He's saying be present to people. Just be present. Don't be thinking about what you have to do next or what you need to do tomorrow. Just sit and be. Are the people around you celebrating? Celebrate with them. What are they celebrating? Name what is good there. People around you mourning, are they in a place of death? Enter into that place with them. Experience death with them. We hate entering into seasons of death. We hate acknowledging death. When people are mourning, we have no idea what to do. We're just like, I hope you get okay soon so I can be okay. Like, that's what happens. That's what we do. But he's saying, engage that space with those people. Be not okay. And let them be okay not being okay. Engage that place of death with them. He says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. My sister would remind me of that one constantly. Whenever she would slap me, she'd be like, slap, don't repay me evil for evil. I'm like, oh, Sarah. <laughs> but for real, it's right there. She was right. <laughs> Give thought to what to do to what is honorable in the sight of all. And I love verse 18. Verse 18 is one of my like, life verses. It's so hard to do, but it's such a beautiful challenge. It says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Whew, that could be the sermon right there. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God for his written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. And we can look at Amos and say that God follows through. God does that. 
Because the people that were oppressed, they did not rise up against their oppressors, but God did it for them. All right? And then it says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. So do not let our lusts and our greed and idolatry overcome us, but let's overcome evil with good. So my question is, church, what would it look like if we began to engage our families, our co-workers, our neighbors with these things? I believe that if we entered that space with them, and we lived Romans 12 in the Spirit of God, in the, His Holy Spirit of grace and peace and truth, that we would see the prayer of Amos come to pass, where we let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. I believe Romans 12 is an invitation to come and die to Christ and trust that in your dying to yourself and your dying to others that God is doing a work of restoration to your soul. Because that's what God does in Amos. Amos ends with this vision. In chapter 9, verse 13, he says this. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper. So we're going to take in new soil. Death is becoming less. And the treader of grapes, him who sows the seeds. The mountain shall drip of sweet wine, and all of the hills shall flow with it. He says, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they will build the ruined cities and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. And I will plant them in their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. Friends, we have been planted by the Holy Spirit. Paul says that the Holy Spirit coming into us has sealed us. That we have been established in Christ. That this establishing, this planting, this never being uprooted again, these promises, they're happening now. And they're going to be fulfilled even in the second coming of Christ, but he wants them to begin to be fulfilled here now among us in this city where we live right now. And so we're going to come to this place of communion. And in this place of communion, we're going to remember how Jesus bore our injustice. How he bore the justice that was due to us. And he saved us from it. How he absorbs our judgment and how from this place of absorbing our judgment, he's going to establish us. And I want us to see communion as this invitation to partner with him as we break the bread and as we dip it in the juice, that we, that we see it as an invitation to partner with him in his dying. That we would die to ourselves. That we would mourn our own injustices. But that we would also see it as an invitation to new life that we are empowered right now, like Jesus, to face down the injustice in the lives of our world and in our own lives, and that we have been established with power in Christ Jesus. Amen. That is the good news of Amos, and that is the good news of returning to God. And I pray that in this space that we would do that, and that we could begin to have that triangle be flipped in our own hearts, and that we would have eyes to see the city and weep for it like Jesus does. And that we would have the courage to enter into it face on addressing injustices in our own lives and in the lives of others wherever we see it. Let's pray. 
Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time of gathering. And God, I thank you for the energy that has gone into gathering. I thank you for that. God, I pray that you would use all of our extra energy and direct it towards the city, that you would direct it towards relationships around us. God, that you would allow us to weep for your city wherever you have planted us, God. That we would have eyes to see the injustice of our world. Not just the ones that are far off that we feel isolated and disarmed and unable to do or make a difference around God, but God, open our eyes to how we can respond here, right now. God, address places of injustice in my own heart. God, expose my greed. God, expose my lust. God, expose our idolatry. Because we want to return to you. God, help us to come and die this week so that we might live. In your name we pray. Amen.